Welcome to Vedic Mythology, Music, and Mantras. I'm Ben Collins. This week we're going to continue the series on women in the Vedas. As always, this podcast is presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web, where you will find a new podcast page that should make it easier than ever to listen online or to download these podcasts as well as to view the photography and Yagya blogs all in the same place. Long-time listeners of these podcasts will recall that there are many instances in which women play a pivotal role in the spiritual teachings of the Vedic tradition. For example, neither the Ramayana nor the Mahabharata would be stories were it not for the pivotal role that Sita or Amba play in those stories. Certainly, if one listens to the Puranas, the stories of the gods, the pattern seems to be, more often than not, that the male gods grant a boon to someone who has done long spiritual tapas, and then are helpless when it all goes wrong and the demons start to oppress the gods and make a mess of the universe. At those times, the gods have to appeal to the Divine Mother to come and set things right, because it is only she who has sufficient power to defeat the demon. The female principle is usually sharp and insightful, and here in the Brihad Aranyaka Upanishad, which is what we're going to discuss today, it is no different. Well, I've been working on this podcast for the past three weeks, and one thing that became gradually apparent to me is that it's really difficult to condense an Upanishad. There's not a lot that would be considered extra, and as with most Vedic stories, one thing always leads to another. So this is a two-part podcast that's based on the Brihad Aranyaka Upanishad and which contains the story of the Bahudakshina Yagna, which was held by King Janaka of Videha. The challenge was to determine who was the most learned man in the kingdom. So this king held a great yagya to which thousands of people were invited, especially all of the great pundits and sages and rishis. King Janaka took a thousand cows and tied ten gold coins to each cow's horns and promised them as a reward to the one who is the greatest knower of truth. But this was a problem because who would dare stand up and say, Ah, it's I. I am the most learned. Well, in the crowd was a sage by the name of Yagnavalkya, who quietly said to one of his students, Go get those cows and take them back to my ashram. Note that he didn't say, I am the greatest, nor did he wait for them to be awarded to him by the king. He just took them. Well, this act infuriated all the pundits, particularly the king's chief Rigveda priest by the name of Ashvala, who stood up and said, Yagnavalkya, apparently you regard yourself as the best knower of the truth among us. If this is so, answer my question. And Yagnavalkya said, I prostrate myself before the greatest knowers of truth, but I am desirous of the cows. I've taken these cows because I wanted the cows, that's all. And as far as the knower of the truth especially is concerned, I would bow down myself before him. So, of course, the insinuation is that there was no one there great enough for him to bow down to, otherwise he certainly would have. And it must be said that Yagnavalkya had a history of this sort of, couldn't we say, arrogant behavior. 
As a student, he displayed more arrogance than his guru could tolerate, and he got into a huge argument with his guru, the sage uh, Vaishampayana, and his guru was so angry that he demanded that Yagnavalkya return all his knowledge of the Krishna Yajurveda to him. Well, Yagnavalkya vomited up all this knowledge in the form of semi-digested food. The other disciples of the Rishi immediately turned into tiri birds or partridges and gobbled up the food and therefore all the knowledge that had previously belonged to Yagnavalkya. And as an aside, the Upanishad that goes with this Veda is the Titiriya Upanishad, and the Veda is called the Krishna Yajur Veda. Krishna meaning dark in color, like the Titiri birds. Well, Yagnavalkya, after vomiting up all his knowledge, went off and decided not to have any human guru after that. So he did long meditations praying to the sun, who was of course master of all the Vedas. And eventually the son was pleased and came in the form of a horse, gave all the knowledge back to Yagnavalkya, uh, although it is slightly different, and then it is called the Shukla Yajurveda. So Yagnavalkya was a bit of a rebel and presumably not very humble, or maybe he just liked to get people going, which he certainly did at this big Yagya. The questions start flying fast and furious about all sorts of spiritual topics, all of which Yagnavalkya answers with apparent ease. Yagnavalkya was able to eloquently answer every question that was put to him, and as an example, after Yagnavalkya describes Atman as the life-giver and controller of all, one sage challenges him to show him Atman, in the same way you would say, this is a cow or this is a horse. Yagnavalkya says with what seems like just a touch of contempt, that is not possible. The self or Atman is not an object because you cannot see the seer of seeing. The seer can only see that which is different from itself. Can you think the thinker of thinking? Can you hear the hearer of hearing or the understander of understanding? You cannot show someone the Atman because the shower is the Atman. Atman is the light of consciousness through which all else is seen. Then Yagnavalkya seems to get a little irritated because he says, literally, everything other than Atman is stupid. It's useless, it's good for nothing, it has no value, it's lifeless. Everything has a meaning because of Atman and not the other way around. Minus that, Nothing has any sense. And then a little later on he says, this Atman is a tremendous reality. It's not an ordinary thing. What, a, what sort of tremendousness is there in the Atman? Well, once it's known, you will ask for nothing else, he says. Once nectar has been tasted, nobody would ask for any other drink. That Atman is a tremendous reality, having known it even a little People want to renounce everything and do not want to speak. When you transcend learning and transcend even the humility of a child, the innocence of a child, the simplicity of a child, when both of these are transcended, you become a muni, or a real knower observing true silence inside. That is the state of a sage. Saying that, 
young Novakia sat down. He thought that he was done and could probably go home now and enjoy his new wealth and obvious reputation. Not only had he convincingly spoken about Atman, answering all the questions to the satisfaction of the questioner, but he tied it all to a very specific experience, his own experience in a way that was still understandable to those who were not in, as enlightened as he. And everyone sat silently, but then the only woman in the audience stood up to ask a question. Her name was Gargi Vachaknavi, the daughter of the sage Vachaknu. And she was very well known as being knowledgeable and very learned, and she very cleverly leads Yagnavalkya through a logical progression, saying that without water everything would fall to dust, but without earth water would have nothing to moisten, and so on and so on, through the whole cosmos, uh, leading him through a whole progression of smaller parts of creation being contained in the larger parts, all the way up to the Haranyagarbha, the golden egg. And supposedly, if you could see all of creation from the outside, it would appear to be like a golden egg floating in the infinite. And Yagnavalkya agrees that the world of Haranyagarbha is Brahmaloka, the ultimate source of all. So, Gargi says, thinking I've got him now, Well, sir, you've said that Haranyagarbha is the container of all. But what contains it, and who created it? That question, to which there is no obvious answer, didn't go over very well, and in the text Yagnavalkya says to her rather paternally, You are asking too much, Gargi. You should not ask such questions. If you ask too much, your head will fall down, meaning that she will drop dead. Do not go beyond permissible limits of logical argument, because you cannot ask the cause of the cause of everything. You are asking for the cause of the supreme cause. Such a question is meaningless. So, Gargi, by putting such stupid questions, may your head not fall. Now, the text doesn't give any clue as to why there are so many references to her head falling, but this is no idle threat, as we'll see towards the end of the next podcast. Yagnavalkya continues, Do not ask questions of this kind which have no meaning. You're asking where the cause of all causes is situated. Such a question should not be put. This is the reality. This supreme being is that about which no question can be put, and it will not allow any query about it. Too much you are asking. Do not ask like that. Well, Gargi sat down quietly, but she wasn't done. There were a few more questions other than that which were along much the same lines that Yagnavalkya answered very easily. But then Gargi stood up, and she says, Learned men, I am now going to put two questions to this sage. If he is able to answer these two questions of mine, none of you are going to defeat him in argument. There's no use arguing with him afterwards if he's capable of answering these two questions that I am going to put to him now. Yagnavalkya, she says, that which is above the heavens, below the earth, between the earth and the heavens, and is also identical with whatever was, whatever is, and whatever will be, 
In what is this particular thing rooted and founded? Is there a foundation or support for this particular thing? Yagnavalkya says that this thing that she refers to is like the ether that pervades everything. It is like space, akasha, but more subtle and unmanifest. It is like unmanifest space, avyakrita akasha. And on what is that avyakrita akasha founded? What's the basis of it? asked Gargi. Well, this time Yagnavalkya answers rather gently. It is founded on the absolute beyond which there is nothing. The ancient ones call it akshara. It is not gross because it is not visible as an object, but it is not subtle because it cannot be distinguished from gross. You cannot call it long and you cannot call it short because it is not located in space. It has not dimensions and yet it is the source of all dimensions. Yagnavalkya goes on for a while like this and ends by saying that this is the Parabrahma, the Absolute, the unmanifested law of the universe. It understands everything, he says, but you cannot understand it. You cannot fully understand it because it is the cause and you are the effect. There is no other seer but that, and there is no other hearer but that. There is no other knower but that. It is eternal because all time exists within it, and it's infinite because all space exists within it. So earlier, there was an explanation that when a carpenter makes a table, you have two things. You have a carpenter and you have a table, one separate from the other. But this... Um, description by Yagnavalkya is not like that, and Adi Shankara explains it by saying that it's like the similarity between a nugget of gold and a gold ring. From the perspective of the gold, nothing ever changes. The gold nugget is gold, and the gold ring is gold, and it's all just gold. But from another perspective, the nugget becomes a ring, and it takes the form of the ring even though its essential nature, which is gold, never changes. That apparent change of form is analogous to what the Vedic tradition calls maya, and that's what Yagnavalkya is explaining to Gargi. At this point, she's satisfied and turns to the audience and says, My friends, we need not speak with him further. No one can speak like him, and there seems to be nothing that he does not know. Well, this much was true, and no one rose to speak, except one person named Shakalya, who started to ask more questions, which proved to be to his ultimate peril, as we'll see in the next podcast. So in the interest of time and easier downloads for you, I'm going to stop here and play the Brighuvali from the Titiriya Upanishad. It talks about the essential nature of Brahman, much as we've been talking about today. And since this recording is a little bit on the long side, that'll be all for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And I hope to have the, pod, the second podcast of this series posted perhaps even later today. Varunam <laughs> Pitaramu 
ಅಧೇಗೆ ಭಗವೋ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮೇತಿ ತಸ್ಮತ್ಪ್ರೋವಾಚ ಅನ್ನಂ ಪ್ರಾಣಂಚಕ್ಷುಶ್ರೋತ್ರ ಮನೋವಾಚ ಮಿತಿ ತಗುಂಹೋವಾಚ ಯಥೋವಾಜಂತೆಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜಿಜ
ಮಹಾನ್ಭವತಿ ಪ್ರಜಯ ಪಶುಭಿರ್ಬ್ರಹ್ಮವರ್ಚಸೇನ ಮಹಾನ್ ಕೀರ್ತ್ಯ ಅಂದಂತ ನಿಂದ್ಯಾತ್ ತತ್ವ್ರತ ಪ್ರಾಣೇಶೀರಂಪ್ರತಿಷ್ಠಿತಿಷ್ಠಿತೋತಿ ಮಹಾನ್ಭವತಿ ಪ್ರಜಯ ಪಶುಭಿರ್ಬ್ರಹ್ಮವರ್ಚಸೇನ ಮಹಾನ್ ಕೀರ್ತ್ಯ ಅಂದಂತ ಪರಿಚಕ್ಷೀತ ತತ್ವ್ರತ ಆಪೋವಾಂದ್ಯೋತಿರನ್ನಾದ್ಯೋತಿಷ್ಯಾಪ್ರತಿಷ್ಠಿತ ಮಹಾನ್ಭವತಿ ಪ್ರಜಯ ಪಶುಭಿರ್ಬ್ರಹ್ಮವರ್ಚಸೇನ ಮಹಾನ್ ಕೀರ್ತ್ಯ ಅನ್ನಂ ಬಹುಕುರ್ವೀತ ತತ್ವ್ರತ ಪೃಥಿವೀ ವಾ ಅನ್ನ ಆಕಾಶೋನ್ನಾದ ಪೃಥಿವ್ಯಾಕಾಶ ಪ್ರತಿಷ್ಠಿ ಆಕಾಶೆ ಪೃಥಿವೀ ಪ್ರತಿಷ್ಠಿ ತದೇತದಲ್ನಮನ್ನೆ ಪ್ರತಿಷ್ಠಿ ಸಯೇತದಲ್ನಮನ್ನೆ ಪ್ರತಿಷ್ಠಿ ವೇದ ಪ್ರತಿಷ್ಠತಿ ಅನ್ನವಾನನ್ನಾದೋತಿ ಮಹಾನ್ಭವತಿ ಪ್ರಜಯ ಪಶುಭಿರ್ಬ್ರಹ್ಮವರ್ಚಸೇನ ಮಹಾನ್ ಕೀರ್ತ್ಯ ನ ಕಂಚನ ವಸತ ಪ್ರತ್ಯಾಚಕ್ಷೀತ ತತ್ವ್ರತ ತಸ್ಮಾಧ್ಯಯಾಕಯಾಚಿಧಯ ಬಹ್ವನ್ನಂ ಪ್ರಾಪ್ನುಯಾತ್ ಆರಾಧ್ಯಸ್ಮಾನ್ನಮಿತ್ಯಾಚಕ್ಷತೆ ಏತದ್ವೈ ಮುಖತೋನ್ನಗುಂರಾಧ್ಯ ಮುಖತೋಸ್ಮಾನ್ನಗುಂರಾಧ್ಯತೆತದ್ವೈ ಮಧ್ಯತೋನ್ನಗುಂರಾಧ್ಯ ಮಧ್ಯತೋಸ್ಮಾನ್ನಗುಂರಾಧ್ಯತೆತದ್ವಾಂತತೋನ್ನಗುಂರಾಧ್ಯ ಅಂತತೋಸ್ಮಾನ್ನಗುಂರಾಧ್ಯತೆ ಕ್ಷೇಮಿವಾಚೀಕ್ಷೇಮಿ ಪ್ರಾಣಪಾನೇತಿ ಹಸ್ತಿರಿ ಪಾದಿರಿ ಪಾಯುಷೇ ಸಥ ದೈವೀ ತೃಪ್ತಿರಿ ವೃಷ್ಟೌ ಬಲಮಿತಿ ವಿದ್ಯುತಿ ಯಶ ಇ ಪಶುಷು ಜ್ಯೋತಿರಿ ನಕ್ಷತ್ರು ಪ್ರಜಾತಿರಮೃತಮಸ್ಥೇಮಿತ್ಯಾಕಾಶೆ ತತ್ಪ್ರತಿಷ್ಠೇತ್ಯುಪಸೀತ ಪ್ರತಿಷ್ಠಾವಾನ್ಭವತಿ ತನ್ಮಹಜಿತ್ಯುಪಸೀತ ಮಹಾನ್ಭವತಿ ತನ್ಮಣ ಇತ್ಯುಪಸೀತ 
ಮಾನವಾನ್ಭವತಿ ತನ್ನಮಿತ್ಯುಪಾಸೀತ ನಮ್ಯಂತೆಸ್ಮೈ ಕಾಮ್ರಹ್ಮೇತ್ಯುಪಾಸೀತ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮವಾನ್ಭವತಿ ತತ್ಬ್ರಹ್ಮನ ಪರಿಮರ ಇತ್ಯುಪಾಸೀತ ಪರಿಜೇನಂಬ್ರಿಯಂತೆ ದ್ವಿಷಂತ ಸಪತ್ನಾ ಪರಿಯೇ ಪ್ರಿಯ ಆಭ್ರಾತೃವ್ಯ ಸಯಶ್ಚಾಜಂ ಪುರುಷೇ ಯಶ್ಚಾಸಾವಾದಿತ್ಯ ಸಜಂವಿತ್ ಅಸ್ಮಲ್ಲೋಕಾತ್ಮಯಮಾತ್ಮಸಂಕ್ರಮ್ಯ ಪ್ರಾಣಮಯಮಾತ್ಮಸಂಕ್ರಮ್ಯಮಯಮಾತ್ಮಸಂಕ್ರಮ್ಯಮಾನಂದಮಯಮಾತ್ಮಸಂ